Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to wherever you are. You're listening to the All Talk Car Podcast. With me today is Halil. G'day, Halil. Good morning, everyone. Ross is not with us today. He's on after Dirty Talk last week with Dirty Cars. He went away to the Hunter Valley. To have a dirty weekend. Dirty weekend with one of his cars and painted the back. We've got a special guest today. We've got Mr. Robert Blander. Good morning. Vice President of the HDT Owners Club. Yes, of New South Wales. Of New South Wales. Well, there's more than one. There is more than one. There is a uh, car club in Queensland, HDT Owners Club of Queensland, and also of Victoria. And there is one in South Australia also, but it's combined with the HSV Club. Ah, uh, well, there's not enough out there. No, they just never split from when they from when HSV was giving money away back in the uh, early 2000s. They didn't take the money and they stayed as a HDT owners club, incorporating HSV. And what about WA? WA doesn't have a car club as such. But there are HDT cars out there There is plenty over there and always has been. Well, there's something that I didn't know, but uh, welcome this morning. How did you get into it? Unfortunately, um, it's been in me since I've been about nine years old. A great friend of mine, he's... um, Father bought a brand new VKSS in 1985. Wow. He still owns that car to this day, and that was the car that used to pick us up and take us home every day from school. And you just loved it. And we just lived and breathed HCT Commodore since then. With the square dashboard dials. That's the one. <laughs> you were 90, 1985. You were 60. Thank you. It's not a modelling program, it's radio. <laughs> he looks like he's 32, he's a spring chicken. Thank you. So VKs, and then what, when you first got your license, did you then buy well, the next, straight into Holden's? Or? Well, it was always Holden's. The family was Holden. Dad was Holden. Dad had bought a WB Caprice in 82. remember going to uh, three Sydney dealerships on the Bathurst race day. Dad looking for a car and just couldn't find what he wanted. And we were watching the race and it was just always everything was Holden. He ended up buying a car from a very close and personal friend. Uh, Peter May, who was a salesman at the time down at Sutton's Arncliffe. They're still there. Still there. Peter May's now retired. Yeah, car's long gone, unfortunately. It was given to me as a present, and I... uh, (laughs) Rearranged it. I gratefully didn't accept the present and gave it back to him. Oh, okay. And he then unsold it, and uh, yeah. I thought you went to the Halil Driving School. No, no. (laughs) Halil's Driving School is just not for me, unfortunately. It was a WB Capri. You need a lot more than me to do anything with it. A few more than one bar. You have ejected yourself through the windscreen before any scratches on the panels. Correct. Well, it's Sutton's Uncliffe and those guys that probably grew up around that time. That was your Sutton's Uncliffe, Sutton's Chalora, Sutton's Homebush in, in the Sydney metro area especially. That's that's where you had your heavy hitter HDT car sitting in showrooms, or at, you know maybe depending on the model outside. Um, there was also Parkside Autos across the road from Sutton's. Uncle. Across the road from Sutton's, which was cars there. yeah, which was um, muscle car heaven, or mainly HDT heaven for people people looking. But interesting H- times. HDT was sold through Holden dealership. It was the Holden dealership team. Correct. Yes, and the, and and it was an arrangement where. Modified Holdens were sold through the dealerships. Yes. But did Holden ever own HDT or was it always Brock's company in the 80s? It was. It did belong to Peter Brock. Peter Brock bought that, bought the HDT racing entity from John Shepard when John Shepard retired. He was actually funded by a dealer in South Australia called Vin Keen, who was United Motors at the time. Um, he'd put the money up for Peter Brock to buy HDT racing. And then in return, wanted cars so they could sell in their dealerships 
and that's how the birth of uh, the VC HDT came around. And was that that model that that was pretty unique in its day? Was there any other? I don't remember any other arrangement in Australia where Ford didn't have anything like that. Not a fact. Not a factory arrangement with someone outside of their own company. The Fords ran the ESP Falcon, the European Sports Pack, but it was all done by Ford. Whereas to have someone, a separate entity, building motor vehicles and selling them, and through the fa- through the through dealership the dealerships there. was something new. Even in America, I mean, they had the Yanko Camaros in the '60s, but that was a dealer. That wasn't a factory backed. Yes, that's correct. So I think Yanko was a dealer, and he did it himself. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's quite unique. So um, you see a lot of arrangements now with AMG, which are now been bought out by the factory but um i think hdt was one of the first any favorites out of those collections um i'd have to say his collection (laughs) thanks hal uh would probably be the vl director which was the car that split uh peter brock and holden with the polarizer with the polarizer it was very polarizing it was it was a polarizing story is that in your collection most certainly is with the polarizer is that the sports pack isn't it with the polarizer that's what it was called, the plus pack or the sport? The plus pack was the... The group A. Was for the group A and was a kit. It wasn't just the polarizer as such. There was sway bars, uh, springs, a fuel system, water cooling changes to the engine. It was quite a nice car. It did make it, it made a little bit of a difference. Polarizer, unfortunately, the jury's still out on that one, whether yeah. it made a difference or not. I'm going to ask hypotheticals. I'm not going to ask the usual questions. Polarizer or not, if the operation continued past VL, would, could you picture the VN and onwards? Would it have kept going? I mean, it was a successful. Was it a successful business at the time? Okay, unbeknown to a lot of people, Pete, is that the business did continue and had continued and still continues to this day under we, the HDT. Under the car. HDT banner, it uh, was sold in 1988 to a family called the Colorafis, and they ran it for five years and. Um, Subsequently, went well at the start, but too much red tape and uh, ADRs put them in a bit of a position, which is the Australian design rules yeah. for vehicles. But was Holden backing them? Would no, Holden had not backed them. Holden had started their own with HSV. the advent of HSV and Tom Walkinshaw being the front man. So basically, um, they had to buy Holdens or they'd pick a particular model and then modify it. Yes. So are there, there are VN HDTs There around? is VNs, there's VN Aeros, and there's a couple oh, of the Aeros, that's right. Yep. And then they did the Magnum Utes later on. Yeah. But it was probably a tough time to be transitioning to as a Without the secondary. Well, it, even not so much that, but it was probably a tough time in that late 80s because not only was it ADRs, all the emissions, everything was changing. Recession so you, too. You, you, yeah, you had a recession coming on, you had carby motors on the way out, you had the VL coming in which had the injected engine and the turbo motor. You had the VN coming, which, you know, so it was probably a tough time for someone to try and fill some very, very big shoes without factory backing and sort of like your um, racetrack landscape changed as well because all of a sudden you had Ford Sierras, you had Skylines. So all of a sudden, uh, the you know, these guys picked up what they thought was probably great brand. We've got HDT, but all of a sudden the on-field and showroom didn't wasn't what it was two years ago, let alone five years ago. Can I just stop you there, Hal? The biggest issue was, and people don't realise, Holden sent the car directly to HDT to be modified, then sent it on to the dealer. 
So the dealer would order the car from Holden. It would then be sent by Holden to HDT in Port Melbourne, modified, and then subsequently on sent to the dealer and HDT never had to actually pay for the base vehicle. Now, when you don't have to pay for the base vehicle, you don't have a lot of capital outlay. Yeah. And you're getting paid when the car leaves your shop, you get paid by the dealer for the modifications done. Problem was, once Holden had left HDT, once they'd stopped their backing, HDT had to buy their vehicles mm. from dealerships, thus strangling their cash flow. That is what subsequently finished the business in the large which capacity takes, that it was. Which takes money out of development costs and correct, and the, and the rest of the um, managing that such a business. And, and, and going back to that era, what Halil was talking about, even Brock struggled with the Falcon. Not that he had a good base to work with. It's, no. There's no. so much you can do with that, that EA body. The EA went down history <laughs> as being a very poor Falcon. Great looking, but just... I think the ladder <laughs> might have just been better. The ladder nearly saved him. Yeah. No comment. <laughs> we, can't, we, can't, we can't take we can't take shots at Rob. Part of your collection, Rob? <laughs> no. Yeah. No. But, but a close and personal friend, Peter Champion, actually has one in his collection. Oh, but he's had a few. And very unloved, hasn't been washed in many years. So if uh, Peter's out there listening today, maybe throw the hose over it, Pete, and uh, give it what it deserves. It might fall apart. Possibly. Yeah. <laughs> The rust. That Russian steel wasn't probably came through China back in the late eighties. North Korea. North Korea. It's <laughs> a high grade North Korean steel, recycled and from then, rust. And then fast forward to ten years ago, the retro series came out. I yeah. love those cars. Yeah, HCT had brought out the retro series on the uh, the VK Group A, the VC, and the VH. Based on the VE body shape, on the VE body shape, series one and series two, they were a good look. Quite a nice car. Re remade the wheels, the aero look wheels, the Ernst look wheels, and um, yeah, they were they, they were a good thing, and still are to this day. They're still very highly uh, sought after. You don't see a lot of them for sale. Um, people do tend to hang on to those sorts of cars, and they are very very limited volume cars yeah they're holding the values and, and I'm, I'm assuming there's some kind of certificate a certificate or a, a, an official number with those as well yeah all cars can be um, authenticated through hdt which the business is still going today which is um you can always look online hdt.com.au and uh, have a look at all the different models that were made and are still being produced today you're talking about values there's some big prices for some of those cars oh uh, geez values seems to be the uh the talk of the town unfortunately these days the first thing people talk about when they talk HDT Commodores is values. And it sort of takes away from the actual car itself and the enthusiasts that love the car. It's just the, the money is just getting in the way and people either A, buy these cars and don't drive them or they just can't afford to touch these cars. I noticed in, I mean, I, I keep an eye on prices and Helen and I email each other regularly. But I noticed two spikes when Peter Brock passed away. There was a massive, enormous they doubled overnight. And then I noticed since the Australian or Holden shut down production and there'll be no V8 Commodore ever again, I noticed prices have sort of started to, to rise. Yeah, um, you're correct there, Peter. That's exactly how it's happened. And I think it's more of a, um, not a scare campaign, but people get this false sense of, oh, they're never going to make, they're never going to make one of them again. If you ever hear that story, and I've heard it that many times when people are trying to buy any early car, any early Holden or Commodore, and they say, oh, you won't be able to get one of these anymore. But they were never going to make another VLV8, so to speak, or a, a VEV8. Once that model's finished, it's, it's finished. finished. So saying you'll never get one of these again, well, you were never going to get a new one from Holden anyway because they weren't making them. Mm. So people they don't just, build these anymore. 
No. No, not like they used to. No. No. And, and two years ago, if you had a dollar for every person that said, oh, when Holden closes, this is going to double in value. Yeah. Wow, you're yeah. very think, rich. Well, social media, and we, we touched on this on one of our earlier podcasts, social media has a lot to do with pricing because you've now got a much bigger audience and a lot more people. You've got people that don't know each other talking about it at all hours of the day. So... Oh. I was going to bring social media up and we're going to get to clubs in a minute because you'll see a lot of cars for sale, but that's the price they're asking. You don't know whether or not they're sold for that much. Well, look, the, 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 some very high-profile auctions recently have seen the numbers. That's the number. Actually, that's, yeah. that's, what, that's what you pay. You know, it, it is what it is. It was public. It was, you know, it was streamed live on... Uh, it was, it was on, I think it was on 7 Mate on Channel 7, on one, one of the um, auctions. Uh, stream live on Facebook. If it wasn't streamed live on Facebook, someone was streaming <laughs> streaming it live themselves. So you have all these people who don't know each other with a common interest from all over the country that are talking about these cars. And in one way, yet yeah, it's driven prices up. In another way, it flushes out a lot of imposters and background on cars that you wouldn't have known because there's some guy out in the middle of nowhere that knows something about a car and someone else is talking about it in a Facebook group and he knows history mm. and all of a sudden this so-called car that is being passed off as what it's probably not well there you go you didn't have that probably even five years ago when social media was still you know to today's standards is um was probably in its infancy but in the old days you would join a car club correct whether it's HD2 whether it's Ford, whether it's Valiant, whether it's pick a car club of New South Wales or national, depending on the make of car and how popular each club is, and you would go to the club guys and they'll know Jono down the road is selling his Capri, Monaro. But not everyone joined the club. But correct in what Peter is saying there. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, With the advent of social media, first place people go these days is to social media to ask about a car. Whereas back in the old days, you would ring a car club and say, Hey, do you know about a car? Do you know anyone selling a car? Car clubs would be the first to know. Mm. And if people wanted to sell their cars, they'd like them to go to enthusiasts. Usually Correct. when they're a collector's car, they would tell a car club. These days, it's it's Facebook, social media, Instagram. There's all these things that people go to to put their cars so up for sale. You've been involved in clubs for a lot of years. Well, um, yeah, since since I was nine, I've been going to the uh, HGT Owners Club of New South Wales car meetings with good friend's father and... I've been, I've seen it all and watched it all go down, and it's really changed in the way things have happened. Because in the last thirty years, odd, we've got nearly forty of Commodores now. The historic rego is what's really starting to drive these cars again. Is that people can put their cars on historic rego, which you couldn't do thirty years ago. Mm. You can now put Commodores, and most people think of a historic car as being something from the nineteen twenties. They don't actually think that a VK nineteen eighty five car is now considered historic. in New South Wales historic. Victoria's 25 years and older, so they're getting more cars on historic rego, but it's bringing more cars out of the woodwork because people can actually drive them, have a cheap registration, and it's enough to keep them going, and they get to take them on club runs at whatever they need. And with the clubs, you, you sort of touched on it, and that is, have you seen an, an evolution or a change? Like, it used to be the old newsletter, folded in half. Is it now web-based? You, you still have you your, you had your, you had your bulletin boards. 
which so it, it was just a different we, way to communicate. Had email chat. So. Well, well, now you are correct. It's that ha, that has been the biggest changing factor in car clubs is that it's nearly all now done on web based stuff. But that's just the communication. At the web, end of the day, you still have to meet up at this location you do, to get your cars together and you drive. Do, but it's all done through the internet, text messages. Easier. Uh, a lot easier. You you do uh, electric. It's electronic mail. Obviously, email. You have a newsletter, an e-newsletter. You don't actually have to have print media these days for a book. Where people used to wait for a a printed book to arrive in their letterbox, and I didn't get mine, and I didn't know about it. Well, that was, the the problem with that is also cost. The massive cost it is to print a book, and unfortunately, car clubs seem to get carried away and to get into what is termed a pissing contest with another club over who's got the best magazine. And unfortunately, it doesn't do anything for the club when a club should be for the members, not for who's got a better magazine and we can take it to some other club and show them, yeah, see, ours is all full colour. And that just unfortunately costs the club money, which could be spent back on the members through discounts in their membership or they could put on food, barbecues, a Christmas party, whatever that may be with that money that isn't spent on a club magazine because they are still very dear to produce. And is everyone welcome? If I turned up in a, say, at the HTT club, say I had a, a VK... I'm looking at Rob's face yeah. and he's saying... Say my like, name is Halil and I have oh. a 25-year-old VK. Can I join the club with my VK? If it's a build-numbered vehicle, you can join our club. If not, we could always put you in touch with another car club that would take a vehicle like his. Uh, is everything okay there, Halil? <laughs> you're right, Halil. You haven't joined the... You're not allowed... What's no, I, I was a member. I had a build numbered car. Oh, I didn't get ridden off, did it? No, 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 no. Sold that one. <laughs> well, again, with social media and the, the way the values of the cars went up, I, I think Halil sort of capitalised on the... Uh, At the right time. ...on the chance to make a few dollars, which a lot of people do, and I see yes. nothing wrong with that. Of course. That's where the market's gone. If you don't need your car, you're not using it, you don't feel that love or attraction it needed, yourself. It was going to need work. I didn't and have you didn't need money. Well, well, no, actually, I, was, I didn't really... It was a... Look, and, and Rob knows the car's a very good car, but it's going to need work. What car was it? The the VK director. Nice. It was going to need a bit of work, and it needed someone that had the time yeah. and the space to get it done. And the market was still on the move. It's probably yeah, it's still on the move now. I, look, I could have I could have held it for another, whatever, 12 months, 18 months, and paid my club rego. <laughs> And made more money, so it wasn't about that. But I just had—I didn't have the room anymore. But you're right; you have to so, drive them. What? What? Rob's and they need driving. Driving. You, you yeah. need to move these cars. You can't. You're right; they're worth a lot of money now. Some people just are, are collectors, or yeah, it's they're almost right. like art. Some of these cars, mm-hmm. but they're living art. You have to start them. You have to move them. And if you don't look mm-hmm. after them, they're going to fall apart or crack. That, that's why I get I have a chuckle to myself sometimes when I see these cars that apparently have got you know like. There was that Tirana that sold with fourteen kilometers on it. It's it's a museum piece. Yeah, that's fourteen kilometers, that, man. That's, fourteen kilometers is. You know, I, I look driven. at that. It's never been driven. I, I mean, mean nearby, stick it in a museum. That car could have had fourteen hundred kilometers on it. It would have got the same money. Very true. I mean, to a degree, the, right? The car is what it is, and someone will buy that car or has bought it, will sit it in their shed in their collection, and happy to look at it, and that floats their boat. For me, I like to drive cars. They need to be used. It keeps them running. It keeps them in good condition. You don't use them. Things start to go wrong. Seals go hard. They start to corrode. You'll have alloy issues. You need radiators. The brakes go. The it's exhaust rusts out. Cars. You need- These things all need to be replaced. And heat cycling a car is very important. 
Historic Rego gives you 60 days a year. That's what you want to do. You want to just drive the car, even if it's just around the block. You want to do that once a month, maybe once every two months. Start the car, make sure it runs, keeps it in good condition. Do you think that's the biggest um, change, the historic cars? Do you think I mean, it's in New South Wales, it's in Victoria? I don't, is it, are you aware of any other states? Yeah, there is in Queensland. And I do know of, yeah. Do you think that, that policy, that registration, has renewed an interest in historic cars? Well, what it's done is it's brought different people into the historic category to bring their, and bring their cars out. Like I said, 30 years ago, I would never have ever thought of a VK being old. Even today, I don't see it as being a historic vehicle. But it is, by the letter of the law, it is 30 years old plus, and people are now starting to use them, whereas you'd always think when you're growing up, oh, an old car is something very, very old, and you'd see old people driving them. But we grew up in the 80s, and an EH was an old car. You think now that's a 25-year-old car in the 80s. If you look back 25 now... Yeah. Well, you're going to get another... Coming into the, the next couple of years, you're going to see probably... and Because Victoria has 25 years. They do. So, But in New South Wales, which I think you'll find cars like the early GDR Skylines, okay, and stuff, you'll see a lot more of them start getting out now. Mm. You know, because you're going to have the same ripple effect where sort of like those 89, 90... 91 cars can go on to Club Rego. You're going to see a lot more of these, you know, non non HDT and Aussie cars coming on um, because a lot of a lot of people don't buy. There's a lot of people that want to buy these cars, um, and probably some of them, you know, have, have the means to do it. But you know, if you if you're going to have a couple of cars and you're paying three, four, five, six thousand dollars, if you're going to pay four, five, six thousand dollars a year in regos and insurances, whereas once you go on to that historic registration or even the modified one if it's a older vehicle and it's not original you're paying less than 100 bucks a year for your rego and ctp is in your, new south wales in new south wales your comprehensive insurance gets a nice healthy cut because it's it's not classified as basically being a car that's driven every day you've minimized the risk of something happening that's right by being so historic that's what insurance no, you're well. using it a lot less <clears throat> that's right so and i think you'll see again more so which is which is good for car car culture and people that like cars because you get pretty much every weekend there's a there's an event on now where you can go see some nice cars and they get social media all the cars and coffees in all different that's areas. right the official the official club ones uh, are different but you've got these mixed ones and a lot of people you know, drag their cars out and go to these with you know, their kids, with events. their families. Like early morning, Sunday morning coffee runs, Saturday mornings, Saturday nights, Friday nights. You got everything from you know cars and coffee to cars under the stars. The other thing that I also I'm happy with what um, the government's done and that is allow left hand drive. You don't need to. Are they over twenty five years? I think as well. Where if you bring in a left hand drive car, an older car, you can register it without modifying mm, it as well. Not sure myself on the laws, but they do. I do know people with left hand drive vehicles yes, that are registered. That, that are now registered. Yeah. Yes. So that's also those who are interested in overseas. I think. It's, I think it's thirty. Thirty years old. I think it's thirty. Same. And, same as um, the historic. Maybe one of your listeners could uh, let us know. Well, I've, we've got a topic coming up about importing overseas cars as well. So um, that might be of interest but that's uh you know where the again the internet has has made america and europe closer to australia and it's easy now to and, and, and affordable to bring in a car and leave it as is and you can always sell it to an overseas buyer if you leave it original and stock where do you stand on the stock versus modification rob um well i believe you own it you do what you want with it but there's some cars you just i believe you just shouldn't touch and you shouldn't modify when we talk hct vehicles these days if you have a modified car when i grew up 
every single car in the club was modified. Very seldomly did you see a car that was standard. They'd change the wheels or the radio or they'd put a CB in it. They'd do engine work to them, five-speed gearboxes. Anything was the norm back in the last 20, 30 years. These days, people frown upon modifications to genuine vehicles, so to speak, which in, in turn brings out people building replica cars like Halil's. Very good car, very high standard of uh, replication, and it's a car that you can use and do anything with guilt-free. But these days, you get a genuine car, say you got a VL Group A, you buy a plus pack, and it's very, very low kilometre. You wouldn't go modifying it. Doing that really just detracts from the value because people frown upon it these days. But again, it is your own personal choice. But when you're looking at value, and if you're ever thinking of selling down a track... That will hurt your value somewhat. Any horror stories? Have you seen something you thought, why? Mate, I've Without seen, give it away. <laughs> Peter, I've seen quite a few over the years. If, and, uh, if, if, Rob's going to break out singing, why, 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 Delilah now. <laughs> I, I have seen of one car in particular, which I saw uh, late last year, and was a 30,000 kilometre Veal Group A. Very highly optioned, really nice car, and they've gone and put big brakes and big wheels and camshaft and exhaust, and I just thought... Why would you do that to such a low kilometre car? There's plenty of other cars out there that you could have got higher Ks, been used a lot more, would have been more accepting of doing those modifications. But unfortunately, that's... Like, they're a high-performance car in its day, though. Like, you can get a Golf R yes. and it'll smash it. Yeah, 137 kilowatts. Yeah, that was high output, unfortunately. <laughs> but I do see what you're saying. But that's, that's just one example I saw. And um, I just thought, why would you do that to that car? But it's each to their own. I've got to say, I'm not against anybody doing anything that they to their cars that they own. But I do know when they go to sell that car, they have an issue. Everybody says, oh, I'm never selling it. And I've heard that more more times than I've had hot dinners. And it just seems that they're the cars that end up for sale. And they're the people that whinge why they couldn't get the, the good money for their cars, so to speak. Or they start trawling around online trying to find the original parts that they thought they were never going to use again. So they can get their car out. back to original. And, you know, it's it makes it difficult. Companies like Rare Spares, things like that, mm -hmm. are they helping the historic car scene? Yeah, they do. They do. Um, mate, there's a, there's quite a few companies, and I'd like to I'd like to just touch on a subject that people sort of always ask me about, and it's restoration work. And people don't understand that I believe Commodores, as in the HET Commodores, follow the GT Falcons. They were ten to fifteen years later. Yeah. But I look at GT Falcons, and you look at the old GT Falcons that Harry Christian's so in love with, which I think they're great cars for their time. Episode 2, if anyone's looking at the back catalogue. Very, very nice motor vehicles. Very sought after today. Plenty of replicas being built of those cars. You look around the country, and there's three or four shops making parts for this car that hasn't been built for 40 years. I just believe the HGT vehicles follow the GTs, so that's the next thing that comes along. Like... Rare, people like Rare Spares. There's, there's some new companies starting up now, starting to make bits and pieces. 3D printers. Yep. Help. Things are getting easier to source. With advent of social media and the internet, the world is a laptop away. So all you have to do when you want something is you can sit in your lounge room and get something organised, produced and made from another country and bring it here and sell it. You could even get it made in this country. It's just not that hard anymore. You don't have to know someone or have to go see them personally. You can do it all via via the, uh, and that the internet. And that doesn't really hurt the authenticity of the vehicle. I mean, it's... No, not at all. Look, a lot of these parts that people are now making are parts that were obsolete for so long. And... You need it. A perfect example is I see people paying $2,000 
for a VHSLE taillight. It's something that's needed. And people, when they're trying to find new old stock parts for these cars, because the VH is starting to get a bit of a cult following now, and there's just people chasing so many bits off these cars, you can't get them. If people like Rare Spares and HCT and these other companies starting up start reproducing these things, they'll have a market for them. When I was a kid, I fell in love with the VK Calais dashboard. I just had a thing with digital dash. The digital dash. Yep. Very nice. And they lasted. Yeah. Yeah. They still work or you've got to guess the speed? No, mate. They they do still work. They did have a few issues when the, earlier on, but I'll give you a perfect example. My brother has a... 84 VK Commodore, which he actually rigged it up over many years, and he still has it to this day. Bought it in 1988, and uh, he actually put the Calais dash in that car, and it is still working. And that was in 91 he put that dash in, Yeah, and it is still working today, faultlessly. We had an XF, a Fairmont gear. Yes. With a digital similar. dash. Mm-hmm. That was a interesting era in the late 80s great great cars unfortunately by today's standards they never had the v8 in those cars no. they just didn't get a cult following like the commodores did but that dash but, sorry but a lot of people put the xf front on their xds and xe's yes, most certainly did especially yeah. on utes you used to see yeah, a lot on utes you used to see a lot of them but that dash used to flick at night i'd be driving and something would flick it'd, it'd go from night mode to day mode really quickly just that just... that was a very early version of the um, uh, driver fatigue detection that <laughs> in the um, in all the high end cars. Okay, it was they, it, it noticed that you were nodding off. It was like flick, flick, they make you look around. Yeah, it was. I'm, I'm. Look, I, I like my. I like my cars, but there's a place for originality. There's a place for modifications. Yep. It all. I, I like all cars. You know, I'll, I'll pay out on my mates for that have got Fords. Or Mustangs, pedestrian uh, killers, but but you know what? I like my I, I like those cars. I like I like the ESPs, especially the XE. You know? oh, the only Ford um, model that's really in the eighties. We're talking like the HDT era. Um, I find space for one. The and ESP. The, I, they've always been up there, but they're really yeah. climbed. And now you see XD. I saw an XD five point eight gear up in the thirty or forties. A standard XD gear. Um, so they're starting to move. I think it's, would you say it's a, a vacuum effect? I mean, you've got, we discussed that with the GTs hitting a million, sucking up the basic GT or the Fairmonts. The, the, it all comes down to, let's say, supply and demand. I know everybody's touched on this a million times. The, the Holy Grail, talk forwards, the Holy Grail is the Phase 3 GTHO Falcon. Now, if you want one of those, Peter... If you're going to buy it, again, you just told me it's a million dollars. Thereabouts, somewhere. Round number. Well, if you can't get that one, you say, oh, well, what else can I get? The next thing you move, I'll get it just an XY GT Falcon, which look very similar, similar performance. Not the top spec model, but it's close. Mm. That then puts the people that are looking for a GT HO Falcon Phase 3, looking for an XY GT brings the price up. Then they get to a price where people can't afford that either. Yep. They look at the next model, which is either an XW or an XA, and then it carries on and so forth and keeps going. You're now seeing XCs, which were really nothing not exotic. A yeah. Not a performance car. You're seeing uh, GXL Falcons going for thirty-five and $40,000. That, that's a... I, I find that's a... Um that's guys buying cars that their dad had yep. or that they liked they've, as a kid, mm-hmm, and they've got the means and the space for it now. Mm-hmm. I, 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 there's two cars that I um, have all my alerts set for that I can't find. A HG Kingswood and a HZ, right? E- either one. My dad had a HG. It was a, 
It was a darkish blue one. I've got photos of it. Okay, something like that or the HZ. What one or the other? You know what? They were nice cars. I grew up with them. And that's what guys. That's why they wanted. I've got. I've got a mate of mine. He wants an XC wagon in yellow because that's what they had as a kid. Jeez, he hasn't narrowed that down, has he? <laughs> no. Wow. Is that no, the, the but, fine line colour, isn't it? But 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 that that's that's the thing that people want these cars. Like I I've got my VK, which is a, a, a Group A tribute, because I wanted one, but I didn't want I didn't have the money for an original because the horse had bolted. But I've got what I want. It's a you know, I'm sure it, there's a Kingswood Owners Club. How I can join the club? Mate, they don't. I, I ask them all the time. I say, mate, this is what, I've sent them photos. I've said, look, if anyone's got anything like this and they're considering selling it, please let me know. I'm not. I'm not going to get the name of the owner. You got the wrong alert. Then go <laughs> to the right the name of the next, when they pass away. And, go to the funeral with flowers and a checkbook. I, I even did the uh, <laughs> Rego check. <laughs> Rego check New South Wales to see is that plate still around. Yeah. yeah. No, they're not. <laughs> So I think they totaled it. So that that's where it's you've got a lot of guys that have got the money now. They're buying a lot of cars that aren't your phase threes, phase twos, or that they aren't a Bathurst car. They're not a muscle car in the sense, but they're from an era where they relate to. Okay, and that's what drives prices, and that's what drives spare parts. Some of these bits and pieces where if you want to get the car original, go and try and grab a like a genuine steering wheel or a radio or something for a car and it's very, very hard. And like you said, you're going to pay two grand for a VHSLE tail light. But people do. Okay. Speaking of car clubs, many years ago when I was a, you know, wet behind the ears uh, real estate agent, I was introduced to a young guy, a bit older than me, called Chris. And Chris had a black A9X hatchback, which back in the early 90s, eh, it's just a Black Tirana with flares on it and big wheels and a roll cage. Nothing special. And Chris was thinking of selling this car back then. Offers it to me for in the low 20s. I take the car for a drive. He says, yeah, take it for a drive. I take the car, take it home. My father says, great, it's a hatchback. You can sleep in the back if you buy it. (laughs) So I take it back to Chris. Many, many years later, I don't see Chris. Many, many, many years later, I turn up at this cars and coffee event that Chris is running and I see this car and I didn't even see Chris. I saw the car and I went, that's the car. I was going to buy that car. A couple of mates are looking at me like, you're an idiot. You weren't going to buy that car. That's a, that's blah, blah, blah. They're explaining it. You know, this was a, this is a Bathurst A9X hatch. Mm-hmm. I don't think it raced at Bathurst, but yes, it was a A9X hatch. It was found out to be later on. G- yep. Yeah, GM. It's a genuine G- GMPA. G- GMPA, uh, right? So... Is that like a unicorn? I don't know anything about Tirana. Is that a unicorn? No, well, they built, um, I think it was about 30 body shells, roughly. Don't hold me to it. The A9X Club can shoot me when they're ready. Um, <laughs> they will. They, they built uh, 30 odd. <laughs> they're here. <laughs> they're here. <laughs> Yeah, they've, they've come from the future like the Terminator <laughs> to, to, to end this conversation. Well, they, they built th- roughly 30 for racing where double seam welded and brackets missing off them and node sound deadening, things like that. And this is happens to be one of those cars. And it did race back in the day in a few Sydney races. And the way the owner came about the, finding this out was just through photographs. And somebody had said to him, hey, this car seems a little unique in some features. Yep. And they chased it up and followed it up with cams and the Vic police went through it and had a look and yeah, confirmed what it was and he found the original owner, the original person who built the car to race and um, yeah, it's now all been confirmed and it's a genuine... It's a fa- fantastic car. Genuine car. And, I love it. I know the car. And for, for the owner... he And he drives it. He drives it. He, yeah, he loves it. The value means nothing to him. Yep. He loves his car 
mate, he's a very uh, good ambassador for muscle cars. Yes. He started a club called the uh, Street Muscle Cruisers. And he puts yep. on these uh, cars and coffee where you just turn up, spend a couple of hours in your morning at, and... Uh, at the everyone, Park. Yeah, everyone turns up at the Homebush there and has a bit of a chat and a coffee and... By well, nine o'clock, you're going home and everyone's happy. They're back happy. To their, back no, to their wives. No one's no, upset. They haven't lost the day. No bullheads, no burnouts, no... He's very strict. Very, that. very good. But but that's filtered through to the people there as well. Yep. And uh, there's more and more people that are coming that we're... You know, I've, I've been going to it for a few years now. Uh, different cars, different people. But... Everyone's there. Everyone respects the cars, and, and and as Rob said, he's a very good ambassador for that car, it's a good car show. community. He uses the main boulevard there, Olympic Park in Sydney. We've been out there one morning. It's um, it's a good show. But I've noticed also there's a lot of race cars being sold now. There was a recent Commodore that hit over two million dollars. Yeah, that that was uh, Peter Brock's dual Bathurst winning car. Will they ever collect the cars? Like, why are they? Is that the in thing now? Look, a car, a car like that car, as in particular, was a, what they termed a Group C race car. Three years later, that car was obsolete in the main category of touring car racing in Australia. So these cars pretty much went from being the in thing to nothing all at once. Well, a lot of them became like sports sedans. And that's pretty much where they all ended up, was in sports sedan racing, because you couldn't continue on using these cars. And back in the day, the race teams needed the funding. They would sell these they cars for next to nothing. Just that's correct. And some cars had many reincarnations through that period. They went from that shell to that shell. It was, right. The shell was essentially the same, well, VB, VC. Like a, um, like a factory VK, which some VH race cars were converted to VKs, Rob. Yep. Yes, that is correct. So, so it, it's because the factory teams would get the latest and greatest, and then pass it down to the privateers and privateers. Yeah. And, and but it's a it's a big thing at the moment because even um, if uh, for our listeners, if you follow Larry Perkins on social media, they're restoring some of their early Bathurst cars. They've tracked them down, got the chassis back oh, for wow. them. And some of these cars, like the, the the VP, the Bathurst winner, was later converted to a VR and VS specs and sold to different parts of the world. It's been tracked down, brought back, and it's getting put back together as as it raced at Bathurst. And let me just add there, Halil, the restoration on that is absolutely second to none. Yep. Jack Perkins, I've got to give credit to that guy, He's absolutely brilliant in getting this car back to the way it should be. Yeah. Like, they do have a great team, but Jack's really done a great, solid job on that car. I did see the car, as you said. There was a lot of work, a lot of metal work they had to do in that car. I'm hoping that Larry actually gets his hands dirty and builds the engine. He seems to be quite fond of that car. Being yeah, you can see the, the photos. The last Holden yeah. V8 to get pole position and the last Holden V8 to win Bathurst. It really means yeah. something to the Aussies in this country that they're... They're holding what they term plastic engine, actually won Bathurst and beat the Chevs that year. Mm. So yeah, big credit to the uh, Perkins engineering guys there. Well, Larry, Larry was part of the HDT crew for some years. Most certainly and, was, and, and probably didn't get the accolades from the um, engineering department as to how much he contributed to probably those um, those cars. Look, the one the one thing, unfortunately, with race teams and car building and there's usually a main man, but the people behind the scenes, it's not one person. One no, person couldn't build an empire in yep. these cars. There was always a team with them. And yep. you've got to give credit to the whole team because it's not just the one guy racing the car. It's the mechanic that builds the engine. It's the guy that does the suspension. It's the guy that puts the gearboxes together, the guy yep. that builds the roll cages. They're a team and they need 
everybody on hand yeah. to do these jobs. It's not just one person. I understand Larry was a, just an absolutely brilliant engineer. Yeah. And yeah I've seen some of his... Um, because he's, 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 if you go on, on his website, he sells a lot of old race parts. And he's happy to let log books for cars. If, if, if someone out there has a what they might think is a, uh, a Perkins Engineering um, race car, they've got not only lo- like some log books, they've got setup notes for every... Tra- like, you know, so when, when he was out on the track and they're doing test days, they would say, you know, they'd make notes in these books. So these cars, you could nearly go back and set a race car up to be exactly the same way it was back then with your tyre pressures and your suspension settings and everything. Yeah, most definitely. And they're basic they're cars. They weren't, yep. they weren't computer controlled in its day. No, no, not the earlier yeah. cars. Yeah, the later ones were. And again, Larry was a very, very, you know, he had that Holden engine in it, but he also had an Australian-made engine management system, the Autronic. You know, you'd see people saying, I've got, um, I've got, there were some road engines. Mm-hmm. And there's a, for another time, there's the famous story, uh, Pete, we'll have to look into that one and drag it up. The famous story of Larry Perkins at high speed on the Melbourne outskirts. And then I think the the highway patrol turning up sometime later to find Larry Perkins doesn't have a moustache anymore. Was he? It's a good story. There is a story. I will find the story. Called the raceway, was he? Well, I think he was using the call the freeway as a raceway, as legend would have it. Larry Perkins was a great reader of the rule book. He could interpret the rules better than anybody in any other team. He just knew how you had to build a car and how you had to read the rule book. To me, pretty much like Triple Eight today, you read the rule book. You don't you don't race a car as such. You read a rule book and you build your car and you build your team around the rule book. And this is what we're seeing today and that's what Larry was a great pioneer of, of reading the rule book and knowing what the what the rules were. And keeping it simple. Which is why he had the number eleven. Why? Because if your number was damaged during the race or something happened, what was the easiest number to replace? One, One. piece of tape. Really? Yeah, that's what he said in an interview many years ago. He picked that number because it was it. He goes, two pieces of tape, right? Something happens, door gets damaged, something goes wrong, easy. Get another piece of tape out. Hmm, something I didn't know. I didn't know that. No. I've, got a, I've got a couple of articles Wow. Lying around in folders somewhere, sitting in a doctor's surgery, reading a magazine. I'll take that page. The future of racing in Australia? I mean, Falcons is there last year. Yeah, haven't, haven't Mustangs really... next year. Camaro has it met the regulations. There's something I've, and I've seen the Mustang, and um, basically the roof has been chopped and raised to allow for it. it you know what it looks like? You know those little Aussie race cars? Oh, yeah. Basically, that's what it yeah, looks like. Little, it almost looks like that. They've, they've version chopped. Of that. It, it's. The shell's been modified. The whole car's been modified to sit on this car of the future chassis, right? Mm-hmm. So the drivers have this vision. That, I mean, there is a Mustang race car in the States, which is set up very much like the V8 supercars. Ford actually has a Mustang race car. If they can race that car and that car has vision, what do we need to chop the roof? And it, it, it almost looks like a bubble. Because that's where they're having problems with the Camaro, with the roof. Well, same thing. And if you remember back a couple of years ago when Erebus brought the, the Mercedes E-classes out to race in, you know, V8s, Mercedes, there was no Mercedes badging on it. No, it was an AMG car. No, there was no. Uh, have a look on it. There's, mm. the, 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 there was no Mercedes badging on it. There was no factory funding. There was no... no. Fa- the Mercedes wanted nothing to do. It was, it was the, known as the Erebus car, right? And if Car of the Futures can't have the Mustang racing as a Mustang, and it's got to get chopped and sectioned and have a the roof raised up and this... 
Forsha just said, well, you're not going to call this the Ford Mustang. I think the but, but the Ford, oh, no, they're going to notice. Is it that bad? It, it stands out. It's going to be harder with the Camaro because the Camaro actually has a, a, a lower roof line. Rent of the day. Pete, yeah. you got anything? What's your rant? I've got an email. I have a, an email asking um, a question from Jason Mads, one of our listeners, and he asks if price wasn't an issue, and price doesn't sound like it's an issue for Jason, a Porsche Carrera 4S. All options or a GT3? GT3. GT3? GT3. They hold their value. Bring it round. <laughs> and then he put turbo versus no turbo, all-wheel drive versus rear-wheel drive. That an- that question answered itself, doesn't it? Self-explanatory there. Mate, just buy the GT3, email us back, we'll meet you at a car park somewhere, and we'll go for a drive. Or buy both, and then we'll see which one's the better one. Yeah, we'll, get, yeah, well, we'll head out to uh, an airstrip somewhere and, um, you know... We'll um, see which one goes better. Or legally, of course. Yes. In Mexico. (laughs) (laughs) On a private road. (laughs) Uh, No rants this week, Hal? No, no rants. Had a pretty good week. You had a good week? Yeah, had a pretty good week. I I, I was actually very busy this week. I didn't get much time to sit on the dunny and look at car sales. So I still got um, a text from you, though. You did? Yeah. Yeah, there was. Did you like mine? I did like that, the, the, the Galant VR4. VR4. I think you're more of that uh, 3000 GT we saw at uh, Leading week. Edge Car Detailing last week. He was talking about the car in that incubator thing last yeah. week. 40K. Three th- he wants 40K for, for it. 40K, one of 118 brought to Australia. The original ones. And the manual. And you can tell the difference from the dashboard. They yes. It 260, I think. Yeah. So very, very good car. So if anyone's looking for what we were saying about a historic old school car, but one of the early Japanese um, supercars? supercars, early ones. Uh, it was up there with the Supra and the 300ZX. Yeah, a fully loaded. Uh, fully loaded car. I think it's looking at around 40 grand for it. A lot of car for the money. And the paint's you know, been corrected. Paint's been corrected. Eamon's done a wonderful job with it. It's um, shiny red. Looks like it's been spanked a few times. Have you seen any Rob in the classifieds? Money, no object. Mm-hmm. Had enough space for one more? Rob's holding out on us. No, no, Rob doesn't hold out. So uh, Rob's got quite a few. Doesn't need any Doesn't need any more? No. Yeah, no it's the space. Look, that's what it comes down to these days. Money, Money's an issue with most people, including myself. And space is an issue. But the space is the the issue that just stops you from doing anything else, unfortunately. And this day and age, we're getting... All our houses are getting smaller, as Halil in real estate will tell you. Our lands are getting smaller. Our houses are getting smaller. Our garage space is starting to shrink. It's very hard and to And they start. won't cut down the trees in my street. Up to park my car down the road. Well, that's that's the next issue. You're not going to park one of these classic cars on a uh, suburban street overnight. You want somewhere to put it, and you just, unfortunately, it's getting harder and harder to do that. Well, I think we'll call it a wrap. Rob, thank you for coming in. Thank you, Rob. Thank you. We thank all you learned something guys. new. There was a bit of Australian history there with HDT and the racing and and the values of these things. So thank you for coming in. And if you want to come in again, is there anything you want to plug? Uh, just like a big shout out to uh, all the HCT owners clubs on the east coast of Australia. Um, if you do have an HCT vehicle and like to join these clubs, get online and um, look them up, hctownersclubs.com.au. You'll find it there. Or, and, or contact Rob. Or you can contact at me. hdt.com.au. And yeah. Rob will point you in the right direction. And, and also, and his if phone you, number for you is 04. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, jeez. I protect my phone number, Peter, unfortunately. I uh, get way too many calls as it is, and I do try and give as much time as I can to people looking for cars and wanting to talk cars, but unfortunately, it does get a a bit too much, and I have to sort of screen them, unfortunately. Hal, anything you want to plug this week? 
No, all good. All we're going to. Uh, we've got a couple of um, people in the pipeline for some uh, some guests for the next couple of weeks. Um, so if anyone's got any suggestions, um, we're always happy to go and hunt down a guest and there's on also client talk, suggestion. Talk of a road trip to Melbourne. There is. Uh, we are looking at a road trip to Melbourne. We're gonna go talk to a uh, a couple of people down there. Have a look at some supercars. So there might um, be some special episodes from Victoria. Yeah, there's going to be there will there will be a special episode early next year. We'll, we'll, we'll keep you posted. We'll keep people ones. posted, and you can send some questions in. So look us up at the usual places on Instagram and Facebook. All Talk Car Podcast. If you want to email us, email us at All Talk T O R Q U E at outlook.com.au. Find us on Stitcher and. Spotify, Spotify and iTunes, rate us, leave some comments, and um, we'll talk to you again next week. Thank you. Bye for now. See ya. See you.